today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Sad news if you are a fan of SpongeBob SquarePants. Steven Hillenberg, who created SpongeBob SquarePants and the whole undersea world that uh, he inhabited, has passed away at age 57. Uh, died Monday of Lou Gehrig's disease, also known as ALS. Uh, again, just 57 years of age. Here's a quick little montage. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain! I can't hear you! Obviously, Spongebob is a comedy, but it really was inspired by me liking marine science. There's a legend, it's a legend now, but the story was he brought in an aquarium with water in it and a little drawing of Spongebob at the bottom of the aquarium and he pitched the show. And uh, they were like, this is just weird enough to work. So they made the show and just kept at it and just uh, he just really hit it out of the park. And if I'm gonna do a show, I would do it about these invertebrates and these crazy animals that exist in the ocean, and it would be the perfect fusion of the things that I did. It, it was that moment where I said, maybe I should pursue this, you know? I mean, originally that song came out of uh, wanting to make a sea shanty, uh, some the theme song having a similar feeling to a sea shanty, which is songs that sailors used to sing when they work, you know? And, uh, and it is about joining in. On behalf of us all under the sea, Steve, I gotta say, aye aye, Captain, you did it! SpongeBob SquarePants, SpongeBob SquarePants, SpongeBob SquarePants, SpongeBob SquarePants! How do you follow that? Uh, let's bring in Bill Brio. <laughs> TV critic, author of the blog TV Feeds by Family. He's with us now. Bill, thanks for the time. Always appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. It is hard to follow that. What This guy, you know, most people when they start in this industry, they sort of set out to do it. This guy was going down a completely different direction he before was, he got he in this business. Actual marine biologist, you know. I mean, he, he uh, went at this from a completely different angle. But, uh, yeah, he just fell in love with animation, studied some animation, and... Uh, in the 80s, created this character, and, and uh, you know, it just took off on Nickelodeon and was one of the most, I bet, for the last 20 years, anyway, most popular children's animated programs uh, ever. You have to wonder how many natural resource uh, planning people there are with a specialty in marine resources that have always wanted to do a cartoon and never did it. I mean, that's a huge move for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something you hear about these things, like the woman who created the... Uh, Garibaldi, the, the, the novels that uh, oh. Outlander's based on, mm. uh, uh, you know, she was uh, doing math textbooks yeah. prior to that, you know, so, uh, but yeah, no, he just completely hit it out of the park, uh, and it just, you know, a, a funny show, you know. It, it, it is well written, isn't it? Yeah, and for years now, I think, and when you look at children's animation, even especially for tots, everything is, is so harmless now, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like wrapping kids in bubble wrap, nothing's yeah. sharp edges, but... SpongeBob had an edge to it, which has been missing for years and years, and I think that's why parents liked it as much as their kids did. You bring up a valid point. It sort of reminded me of the old Flintstones cartoon because of that. It was almost written as much for the parents as it was for the kids. Yeah, I mean, the you know, Flintstones, Hanna-Barbera, they based that basically on uh, the honeymooners. Yeah. So it, it was a sitcom. I mean, it was a, the first primetime animated sitcom back in 61 or 60 when it debuted on ABC, but you go even further back to Bugs Bunny cartoons, 
they were all made for adults in, in theaters. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember watching as a kid, there'd be references to rationing and war uh, themes, and, and yeah. a lot of that I didn't get till I was, you know, 25. <laughs> why? <laughs> no, you didn't care till you're 25. That's I, what it was. Maybe that was it, yeah. Uh, so why do you think this one worked? And I'm sure there are a bazillion of these ideas pitched every day. Why do you think this one caught on? Well, a lot of the reasons we're talking about, it, but they're just irresistible characters who are funny, and that's the, the the whole thing. You know, like the voice actors did a great job. Uh, the relationship between the two, SpongeBob, you know, and and just the little things like they they lived in Bikini Bottom. Yeah. Like I was saying, the, the adult <laughs> stuff, <laughs> very funny, and it, it was something that you know they spun it off into feature films. I remember, I think, seeing uh, the first one. You know, David Hasselhoff had a cameo in it. So they knew they were goofing on pop culture, and uh, they threw it all into the mix. How do they decide to keep it like that and not take it one step farther and make it like a Simpsons or even, you know, Family Guy go beyond that? Well, you know, The Simpsons is such a unique show. I mean, 650 episodes uh, that they'll be at that mark, I think, in January. It's it, it never been a show like it, so that's a that's a high one to shoot for. But um, I, I think whenever you have a show that's somebody's vision and they're allowed to just uh, execute it just the way Matt Groening did, or uh, you know the, the Stephen Hillerberg, it, it always comes out better, I think. And there's a shot at being something that's lasting and rises above all else. There's an interesting quote uh, uh, from Hillenberg, and he's talking to the Associated Press in 2001. He says, the fact that it's an undersea and isolated from our world helps the characters maintain their own culture. And here's the part I found fascinating. The essence of the show is that SpongeBob is an innocent in a world of jaded characters. The rest is absurd packaging. You could say that about any show. Well, you can, but... I mean, he's right. It, it's that innocence is is certainly a key element of it uh, that's worth mentioning. He's he's sort of um, like a Mr. Bean or or you know uh, just that being uh, like the kids he's re- like the kids he's relating to. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know exactly. So the children can relate to it. He literally is a fish out of water, which is kind of. No pun, well, pun intended. And maybe that is, there's the formula right there, is that the characters are more, I don't want to say sophisticated, but for lack of a better word, they're more, they have more depth, and he's the one that the, chi- that the kids relate to. I think so. Like, he's very rootable. You just love SpongeBob. Who doesn't like Sp- SpongeBob? So, um, and then it's that innocence that gives him that quality. Not, it's not just the square pants, you know? It's, yeah. He's, there's something wide-eyed about him, and uh, he's very lovable. The fact that it is in a different world, does that matter, that it's created in sort of a fantasy land where humans don't live? Uh, does it matter, or is it just about the formula? Like when you're looking at a sitcom, whether it's like The Office or Cheers or, you know, any. I mean, basically, the sitcoms are kind of the same, but the situation is different. The, the setting is different. What does the undersea thing do for this? I'm sure that helps, but I just, you know, I'm going to just say bottom line is 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 that it is funny, and and if yeah, you look at the, the Flintstones, took you to a, a prehistoric Stone Age, and then the Jetsons were in the future, um, but in a way, it could have flipped it. You know, I don't know if that was, you know what I mean? Like the characters have to be good and memorable first. The setting helps for sure.
Uh, I remember when first being uh, told about the show, turn on to the show, simply because uh, I have kids and, and now have, you know, the song in my head and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but there seemed to be a lot of uh, um, uh, of silent sort of little hints at the show. And I remember people saying that there was a lot of gay overtones in the show, even Patrick and all of this. How do you explain that and melding all of that together? Well, it's interesting you raise that. I mean, there were... Because not many will raise that. No, I, you're right. And, and the, But, but the this, this show came under attack by right-wing religious groups. Yeah. Uh, there was a period where there were protesting that that there was too many references to gay culture yeah. uh and and they you know but this is just it's it's like when people were all in a tizzy because Bert and bernie you know slept yeah. in the same bed yeah. on sesame street right. um it, it's just so or that you know what was the other those those multicolored things that when my kids were young uh they looked like they had coat hangers on yes. their heads Tele- teletubbies. teletubbies. Yeah, same thing, yeah. You know, so it was like, oh, the pink Teletubby, you know, but yeah. it's just, my God, please, folks. The point of these shows, especially today when people are making shows, is to be inclusive, is to show young kids that everybody's different and, and that's something to be embraced. So it's just, it's perception and it's just unfortunate. I, I don't think Hillebrand was on any crusade you know, I, I just think he was being inclusive in in the the characters. Do, do you think that when people write children's stuff, that they immediately try to take themselves to that age as opposed to staying as an adult being a kid? That's a really fascinating question. If you look at like um, Charles Schultz and Peanuts, yeah, you know, like all of that was really adults. I mean, all the children talked like they were. Um, you know, adults. Yeah. Right? They were, they, you could go to psychiatric help, five cents, go talk to Lucy. Yeah. Uh, it, they dealt with very deep issues. Uh, there's been books written about even, you know, the uh, religious overturn. Ter, over. Uh, <laughs> I got my teeth fixed now, my mouth doesn't work. I hear you. Uh, but, you know, so it, it's, it, that again is, is fascinating. I think some, if you look at some children's books, it's clear that they're, the author has projected themselves back to when they were youngsters. I, I would think that that would be an essential part of it. But, but you know, you're not a youngster, so you're going to also include something of your experience in life later. And, and it seems to be the shows that do that, that are written for kids from an adult perspective, seem to have, have more legs. They seem to, to do better. Is that, is that naive to say that? No, I don't think so. I think you're right. You know, Dr. Seuss is another example. Yeah. You know, like here's a guy, you know, he's fought in World War II. You know, then he decides to uh, uh, be a children's author. And uh, it's just, I think uh, imagination at any age is something that's kids, adults, whatever age you're at, you can you can glom onto that and celebrate it. And I think that's what we're looking at with with those kinds of shows, SpongeBob, Dr. Seuss, or Charlie Brown. All right, I want to switch gears here, and uh, we, we've talked uh, a lot over the years of how TV has changed and uh, how we're consuming it differently, how sitcoms were written for a, a you know 22 episode or how many episode season. Obviously, each episode sort of self-contained. Now that we're into binge watching, and it, you know it, it's gone back to the sort of soap opera formula where uh, the story just continues. I'm starting to notice now as I watch Netflix 
uh, shows that they are specifically written for Netflix in that they take a longer time to unfold. Do you notice that about the way TV uh, uh, series are being written now? They're being written to be consumed like that as opposed to in the old days. Yeah, you're right, Scott. There's very different uh, elements going on. One of the things I've noticed, I like watching comedies. And, and when you're watching a Netflix comedy, Judd Apatow has made a few. And they're not 22 minutes. Sometimes they're 36 yeah. or 39. Yeah. And the other thing, a show like Glow, if you've seen that, The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, uh, it's been on for two seasons, very funny comedy, based in the 80s. Um, each episode ends with some cliffhanger so that it's almost, you cannot get up. You have to right. binge six or eight of them. <laughs> uh, you know, it's irresistible because you're always curious about what's going to happen next. So you're right. They're constructed in a different way for today's audiences. And the fact that Netflix, as soon as it ends and you're sitting there with your mouth hanging open, before you even get a, ch- t- a chance to realize what's going on, uh, three, two, one, you're into the next one. Right, yes. No, it's, it's brilliant, it's, brilliant. It's, and it is brilliant. But I have to say, I'm going to give a shout-out to a network sitcom. Not a lot of imagination on network TV these days, but there's a new comedy called The Kids Are All Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen this. It's on Tuesday nights. It follows the Connors on ABC and CTV. And it is really funny. It's about a, eight kids in a, in a big Irish Catholic family and set in the 70s and... You know, I just I I, I met. Oh, I've friends. seen I've seen uh, promos for that. Yeah, yeah, it's very very funny. Is that the uh, one where the kids got asthma? And no one cares. Well, they can't. Af- you know, you can't. We can't afford. <laughs> well, that asthma. was it. They can't afford <laughs> asthma. <laughs> so I really really like that show. It's I think the best new comedy of the year, and it's on a network. So even though it's a conventional twenty two minutes format. Uh, there's still good writing, good acting in, in, in that show for sure. What are your thoughts on the reboot of the Connors and the whole Roseanne thing? I think it's fantastic. I think I think it's better. I think they got really? rid of Roseanne, and the show is better now. <laughs> like, really? I do. I think if if you watch this show, a lot of people are. Um, those characters are just fine on their own. They don't yeah. need Roseanne Goodman. Great acting, but the other storylines, and and they've kind of given that. Dead Panny put down lines to the daughter, Darlene, right. uh, Sarah Gilbert. She's right. become the new Roseanne. But uh, the stories and the characters in the show, I think it's just terrific. Have you seen Narco yet? I haven't. No, I know. I, I, I did see it originally for the first few episodes, and I know a lot of friends who love this show, and uh, you're you're one of them, I think, right? That, and again, that's the, the I, I noticed that. Wow, this is taking a long time to pan out. It's very, you know, it's like obviously I'm going to be sitting here for a while. I got when I was watching this. <laughs> well, you know, if Netflix gets to make seven, eight seasons of something and sell it all over the world, that's uh, better for them. Right? The only drag is is now you burn through all this crap in like two or three days, where it used to take a whole season. Yeah, I find it's it's so relentless that you reach a point, or I have, where you're almost scared to turn on your TV <laughs> yeah. because you don't have three days, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> so you don't want to start anything. It's like potato chips. Yeah, good point. You don't want to fold up the bag half finished. Yeah. Right. All right, Bill Brio has been with us, uh, author of the blog TV Feeds My Family, TV critic. You can read him all across the country. Bill, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.